so we're in Psalm chapter 4 this morning. The text is printed in your bulletin if you have a hard uh, copy Bible. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 4 this morning. Um, as I preach, uh, kind of once a month or so for the next few uh, months, um, outside of Advent, I'll probably be dipping in Psalms and Proverbs as a whole. Uh, we're going to be sticking in here for me. Chuck will go through, th- through some things, and I'll kind of bring some relief, some, some change from different parts of the Bible. So I'm going to set um, some context for um, Psalms. So the, the Psalms is uh, what's known as the hymn book of the Old Testament. So this was um, mainly used as a corporate worship songs for the, the people of Israel. So there's different authors kind of throughout the book of Psalms, and sometimes they're mentioned today in our text. We see that David is the author, and it's mentioned. Um, another thing to know is there's different categories. As we're reading through Psalms, there's different categories that theologians have put that are actually very helpful. Today, um, this psalm is a psalm of lament. It's lamenting over the situation that David is in, and it is a psalm of confidence. Confidence in who God is and how he can rescue him. Uh, last thing I'll say about the Psalms is, uh, you know, this word selah in English, it's um, actually that pronounced the same way in, in Hebrew as well, is um, throughout the Psalms. And there has been a debate upon debate upon debate over the history of the church on the meaning of this text. And, you know, my uh, Psalms professor in seminary was, is one of the foremost in the book of Psalms. He actually, if you have an ESV study Bible, he wrote the study notes for that, uh, for the book of Psalms. And he told us in class, we don't know what it means. <laughs> but the best interpretation is that because this is a hymn book that was primarily used in the Old Testament as, uh, as hymns, that it is some um, sort of um, musical um, help for the people who are um, singing. Okay, so it's maybe a break in the music or something like that. So I was taught you don't always have to say Selah when you're reading the text for study. So if I'm reading a psalm, generally I will not say it, just so you know that. We really don't know what it means, um, but it's mostly, most likely um, a musical uh, inclination that, that helps the musicians playing. So let's go ahead and open the text, Psalm chapter 4. One last note about the Psalms. We'll see if you have a Bible in front of you, you'll probably see two headings. Oftentimes the first heading um, is something that the editors have put there, right? In the book of Psalms, this is actually one of the books where it's different. Okay, so we're going to see a heading, and I actually put it in the bulletin today because I wanted you to see this. It says, To the choir master with string instruments, a Psalm of David. In our English Bible, there's no verse for that, but that's actually in the Hebrew. It's not by the editors. That's part of what the scripture actually says, okay? So we're going to start Psalm chapter 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning. 
We need um, your Spirit's work in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds to be able to understand the text, to be able to grasp the beauty of your nature and the call to us. And Father, we pray that you would be here with us moving and changing us for the good in the likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so in seminary, one of my professors always started class this way. He started it, I'm telling you this one of, for one of two reasons. I think it's important for what I'm going to say. But secondly, Courtney Doctor actually quoted this. And I feel like I had failed you because you didn't know the response, okay? Because this is like, it's like through and through Covenant Seminary, okay? So he started uh, every class with this. We had several um, classes with him. He said, context is king. Start with the Bible, not the commentary, okay? So that's for day one. Then he says, okay, this is actually a call and response, and I'm going to have us participate, okay? Make sure everyone's awake. So I'm going to say context, and you say is king, okay? Context? Okay, start with the Bible, and you're going to say not with the commentary. Start with the Bible. Okay, so that is very, very vital. That's exactly how they taught us to exegete a passage in seminary right? You make sure you know the context, you start with the Bible and not someone else's work, so you know, you, you know what the Bible's actually saying. It's not giving you a set of lenses to look at the, the Scripture through. So when I got into this text this week, I did exactly that. I'll tell you a little bit about my routine. I get into the psalm, I read Psalm chapter 4 several times, I read around it. I try to figure out uh, Psalm 3, Psalm 5, what's going on in the context. And Psalm specifically is a little bit harder because generally it's in a historical time where you don't get the narrative in Psalm. So I'm trying to figure that out, right? So I get through it. I identify what the core sin is that the passage is addressing, right? Like, what, why is this here for the people of God? What, what is it addressing in the people of God's heart that is calling them back, right? So I get through that. I outline the text. I sit on it for a while. I do some other things, and then I come back to it. I start reading all the commentaries. And I realized there's a huge gaping hole in my exegesis, like really big. And, and I think this is, this is probably very easy for most of us to do, okay? Is that often when we read the Psalms, we read ourselves into David or the author. We read ourselves into the one who's saying, Hear me, O God, the evil oppressed against me. And the whole in my exegesis was that I think that often we need to hear the other seat, that we need to be the ones that's, call, that's being called back to repentance. In verse 1, it says he, he's calling God to answer him, and he's saying that, that other people, they love vain words and they seek lies. Well, this morning, I want us to sit in the other seat and say that we're often the ones that love vain words and seek lies. I think it's healthy for us to see both sides of the Psalms. I think some will lean in other ways or the other. And most scholars actually say that we should read it in this way. And this is where my, this was not even on my radar. I'm like, man, I'm David. Call out the evil ones like they need to repent. And I read this stuff. I'm like, man, that's me, (laughs) not them. So I think that's what we're going to, we're going to go at that um, direction this morning. So in this psalm, David is most likely uh, calling back prominent and wealthy members of Israel's society. So these are people within the people of God that he's speaking to. This is why I think it's important for us to, to hear it, because it's actually people of God that he is talking to. And he's calling them back to faithfulness. These prominent people, they're, they're seeking after, after vanity, after evil things. And they were bringing shame upon David himself and the kingdom of God. 
So they were facing difficulties. There's lots of debate about what the difficulties were in this text, but we know that there was difficulties in the, the nation of Israel, and the people were looking for a solution outside of God. And, and they did not push into the Lord and say, Lord, help us. They were finding a different avenue for finding that help. So we know that for all of us, that, that life brings heartache and it brings trouble constantly. And if you're like me and like the Israelites, we see that we trust ourselves to handle the difficulties. That we don't seek the Lord often. We'll routinely turn to other things outside of God to fix the problem. So David here is calling the people of God back to faithfulness. And I think that we can apply that same call to our lives. So I have an outline in your, uh, in your bulletin there. The big theme we're looking at is trusting in the Lord brings joy and peace. And we're going to kind of break it down in two different areas. The call to trust and then the result of trust. So let's look, starting at the, ver- the beginning of the psalm uh, in verse 1. It says this, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So the first thing we see is God's calling out to God first. And he says he is a God of righteousness. And I want us to see that he is not only speaking of God's character, that God is righteous in his character. He's actually speaking here of how God deals with his people. He's saying that you are a God who is righteous and will deal righteously with your people. You will deal justly with your people. So he's crying out in confidence. Remember I mentioned that this is a psalm of confidence. That he's crying out in confidence saying, I know that you're righteous and I know that you'll righteously deal with your people. So hear my plea. So there's confidence in his tone in both the character and the actions of God. So he starts with calling out to God, but then right away he calls to the people of God. In verse 2 it says this, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. So David turns from speaking to God to speaking to the people here. And in verse 2, it says that they have brought shame, shame upon David's name. And at first, when he's re- refuting them, it could seem like, oh, he's just trying to uh, make his name better, right? He's, just, he's trying to defend his own name. And that's only part of what's going on. That we need to remember that David is God's appointed king over Israel at this time. So he is God's representative for the people to God. So essentially, putting shame upon David's name and David's character and David's kingship is putting shame upon God himself. So it says that you're putting shame upon God, and the second half of verse 2 tells us how they were bringing shame upon God. It said they loved vain words and sought after lies. So God, these prom- prominent people in Israel were seeking things outside of God to fix their problem. And with this, they were bringing shame upon God's own anointed king. They, were, they had moved away from truth, away from the tr- truth that God is sovereign over everything that goes on in life. Though David would, had been shamed through this, we see another note of confidence here. He says that it is the godly whom God listens to. That it, it is the, the one who seeks after God, that person is the one that God listens to. So we're seeing here that God's own anointed king, David, he is godly and God does hear from him. So there's two things. There's confidence that God will hear his plea. 
But this is also a call for the people. He's saying, turn and repent and God will hear you. He will hear your plea. So God listens. So turn to him. But when a faltering person, person caught in sin, calls upon the name of the Lord and he, he, he calls out to them, what should their response be? Well, he tells us in verse 4 through 5. It says this. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So David here is still speaking to the Israelites. Verse 4 is a pretty difficult uh, verse to interpret. I botched it the first time until I really got into the study. So, it, I mean, it's a, it's a hard one. I, I didn't understand it at all. I was actually thinking that David was speaking about himself, and i just completely wrong, right? So this is why I'm telling you I'm not at all perfect. I mean, none of us are, right? So we have to look at the text and say, like, what does this really mean? And most commentators actually uh, agree that the imperative that we get in English as be angry um, should be interpreted or is better understood as tremble with fear. So he's saying here, tremble with fear and do not sin. So you turn from your sin to God. The first thing you should do is tremble in fear and stop sinning. That's what he's saying here. The second thing he goes on, ponder in your hearts on your bed. So he's saying, be silent for a little while. Listen to the Lord. Understand what your sin has done to your life. And I want you to think about this. You know, strong uh, emotions are, are, are a part of our life, right? When we're running away from God, even unintentionally, there are strong emotions that are, that are caught up with that, right? So when he's saying, come back, I need you to turn to me, Tremble in fear, stop sinning. And then he says this, be quiet. Lay in your bed. Because all of us will want to speak out of the emotion, right? I can definitely resonate with this. That we're wandering from trusting God and we get emotionally attached to things. And what's the solution? It's to turn to God and be quiet. To hear from the Lord. To get wisdom outside of ourselves. But he doesn't end there, right? He goes on and he says, offer right sacrifices and trust the Lord. So there's a break here. In verse 4, he's calling them to repentance. He says, repent and turn to the Lord. Now he's calling them to action. You are to praise me now. You have turned, now praise me for who I am. Remember, sacrifice was a a main uh, part of the worship in the Old Testament. So he's calling these people back to a sincere worship of God. The wholehearted repentance of a, of a wandering person makes the ungodly godly. It makes the wanderer whole. You know, recently one of my, my children, I'm not going to tell you who it is, has gotten in this really bad habit of just wandering off. Like, where, like wherever we go, it's just like, I don't know if she's, I have all girls, so I'm not telling you who she, who she is, but she'll just, we'll just be somewhere and she'll just wander off. The other day we were at the pumpkin patch in Las Cruces. You know, it's big and there's tons of people. We went on the weekend and all five of us were standing together and I literally, it had to be 30 seconds. Like I, I, I was looking, like finding a pumpkin. I don't know, one of us is holding Audra. So, you know, it's, it's hard already. And I look back and she's like 50 feet away, Right. So there's some times where she does this and she'll like look back and like wait for me to like see her, right? She's like, yeah, dad, look, look at me. And there's other times where she doesn't even know. She's just wandering off and she's doing her own thing, right? 
And to me, it like frustrates me at no end because I call her back and she doesn't listen. I'm like, I'm not going to say her name. Come back, come back, child, because I want, I want to keep her safe. I want to protect her, right? But there's part of me, when I think about her, I see myself. Like this, isn't this all of us? Like this is what we do with the Lord. We wander away. He calls us back and we look back and be like, I got it. Like, I don't need you. Like, that's, like that, that's essentially what we say often to the Lord. Like, we can we trust ourselves. We wander away from trusting our Father because we think we know what's best. And I think that the root of this text comes down to trust. You know, Chuck mentions this every week, but I want to press in even further that we need to ask, what do we trust in? Uh, in life as a whole, I feel like I give away my trust too easily. Okay, when I was in seminary, we had to do these assignments. It's really difficult for me. So we would have to read an article or a book or hear an argument, and then we'd have to do this. We'd have to do two things. And I think this is a really healthy thing for us, um, just to f- see life as a whole this way, that we had to find something that we affirmed, something that was good about what they're saying, and then we had to find something that we challenged that we did not think was right. So sometimes we'd be reading like people completely in our camp, right? I mean, I'm talking about like reading R.C. Sproul and doing this. And those other times we're reading like a parenting book and counseling class that's from a secular person. So it's, it's, that's a little bit easier. But I think, so for me, I think that it, it was really difficult for me to, to, to say, oh, I don't know if, th- these people are my people over here. So I'm reading like, R.C. Sproul, Kevin DeYoung, Gospel Coalition, like these are my people, right? And say like, what is good and what is actually not helpful, right? And on both sides of it. So we had to refute it biblically, we'd go back and forth, and it's something I still struggle with. But I, I think the foundation of this was that we need to make sure that our trust is in the scriptures and God first. Not R.C. Sproul. Not Kevin DeYoung, even though I love these guys. I have every book that these guys have written, and I've read half of them, right? So I love them. But at the same time, I have way more books than I'll ever read. Allison, it's like one of those things, I get into things, like, and I go really hard. I've told you guys this. Man, I just like, I have way too many books. You'll see. You'll walk back there. This is like a, a third of what I have. And Allison has to deal with decorating around my <laughs> books in the house. But Okay, so what, what we have to do, no matter what kind of information comes to us, that we need to be able to discern what is good and what is godly and what is not in accordance with the Scriptures, okay? So no matter what situation, there's just information coming to us all the time. What I'm trying to see is that we need to train ourselves to have a biblical lens to look out into the world and say, that is good and helpful, and that is not, And I think for us, the danger, I don't think for many of us in the room, you know, we're going to have seasons where we run away from the Lord completely. Like I'm talking about my, one of my children runs away from me, just looks back and basically spits at me, right? Like I'm not trusting you. There's times of that, but there's often times where we wander away and we don't even realize we're doing it. And I think that this is actually the more of the danger for us is that we, we, are trusting in things that we believe are biblical and right and good, but they're actually not. That is the danger, because we're blind to it. So for us, I want us to have a filter over our eyes that when we encounter information, I don't care if they're in our camp or the opposite camp, no matter what you talk about, that we can filter it, say what is good and what is not. 
what needs to be challenged. Because we're all prone to error. We're all prone to sin. Even people within our own camp. And we need to know God and what the Scripture says about this world to be able to apply these truths to everyday life. So you get to start doing this. You, hear, you listen to a podcast. You read an article. Uh, you hear something on the news. You hear just someone speak to you at work. We should be able to say, this aligns with the Bible and this is good. And this does not over here. And I'm not going to lie to you. This is a, not an easy thing to do. Like I, I, they, they showed this to me five years ago, and I still struggle all the time. But we're always going to need work. We always need to know the Scriptures better so we can apply them to our lives. But you need to go out and say, when, no matter what information is coming to you, does that earn my trust? Because does that align with the Scriptures? Or if not, does it not deserve my trust? I'll say it again, I don't think the danger in this congregation as much is running headfirst away from God, but it's putting our trust in things we believe are godly that actually are not. And I know it's true about myself, and it's a very difficult thing for us to really see. Okay, so if that's first point. Second one is result, the result of trust. So we'll see what happens when we, res- we trust in God all the time. And let's look, at, look with me at verse 6. It says this, There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So the people, remember, are are going through some sort of heartache or um, they're they're in a problem and they're looking for relief. So um, they're essentially desiring for their problem to to go away. He was saying, there's bad all around us. Who will show us some good? Who will? Who will do it? Whatever will. I mean, some of the commentators said that this is like turning to uh, the God of fertility or the God of uh, agriculture, this type of thing. Whatever we need to do, I'll turn to those gods and I will praise them if I get my problem fixed. They're looking for relief from any avenue. How does David respond? He says, you're facing pain and suffering. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. He's showing us here that our soul is actually satisfied not in getting our desires met, but in God alone. The cravings of the soul are all satisfied in the Lord. He goes on in verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So he's revealing more confidence here, right? Like it's like laced throughout this. And he, he's showing us there's both like an inward and an exward, uh, an outward joy. The first being inward. This is like um, you go through a really difficult situation and you know that God is with you. So there's a joy even amidst the heartache, right? And the second one is outward. Like you go to a fra- favorite restaurant and you eat your favorite meal and you're like, man, that is good. That's not bad joy. He's just saying, but the inward joy that God brings, even in the worst situation, does not even compare to having a good steak or whatever it may be. That's what he's saying there. That that trusting in the Lord brings ultimate joy that nothing else will. He goes on in verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So David here, he, he, he's kind of concluding with, with laying down, which, which is showing his, his giving up of his guardianship of himself. He's vulnerable, right? And if you're like me, you know that we, we have nights where we, we, we lay down and, and our mind is racing. It's so full of the worries of today and tomorrow and the anxieties of what's going on in life that we cannot sleep. 
Our brains are full and we are in fear. When I was reading this week, uh, Spurgeon speaks of a story of a man who's, who goes to the doctor and um, the doctor says, to get better, you need more sleep. The man responds this way, the doctor wants me to sleep, but how can I sleep with care sitting on my pillow? That's common for us, right? Like we, we sit down and there's so much worry in our mind, but the passage actually shows us when you trust in the Lord, the opposite happens. That you, you, you put your trust fully in God and you lay down in peace. For you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. So in him we get to find peace and safety that is only given through his son, ultimately. So in this, in this psalm, right from the beginning, we see that David, he's lamenting the shame that's being put upon his name and God's name. Later in the story, we see that David's greater son, that, that he bears the shame that you and I deserve, right? He's mocked, he's spit upon, he's hung on the cross, he's murdered for you and for me. He is killed so that we may live. But what this psalm, I think, for a New Testament believer is telling us, that he is mocked, spit upon, killed, murdered, sacrificed for us. Not that only that we can live, but we can live with peace and joy in safety with our God. Now, trusting in the Lord brings peace and joy. So this is all about trust, church. So will you trust in the Lord above all? Let's pray together. Father, you are faithful uh, even when we are not. When we run away, you call us back. Father, we are forever grateful for that. We know that you need us. I mean, we need you each day of the week to call us back. And Father, we plead um, that you would help us to trust you each day. That we would not look to this or that in our life to f- satisfy our desires. But Lord, in you alone would we trust. Father, we uh, thank you for this morning we get to spend together. We pray that you would be here with us, nourishing us at the table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.